Hello and welcome to a Wednesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanziel. Chris, I almost said happy Tuesday, but that would have been very incorrect. How are we doing today? Yeah, I saw you caught yourself there. Uh, doing all right today, Eugene. Uh, tournament could have gone a little bit better, as uh, we'll, we'll dive into. But other than that, we're doing all right. Thanksgiving's tomorrow, so it's uh, A-OK. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving is definitely one of the better holidays out there. Uh, totally looking forward to it. We did have the extra day to process, recover from the tournament. And I know I'm bringing you in on our day off, but I think it's a pretty good compromise. One show for the whole week, right before Thanksgiving. I think it's a good time. Right in the middle. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, we got a lot of things to touch upon here on this fine Wednesday. But Chris, I think we should start off with the polls because that, that'll be a nice segue into everything else that has gone on. I'm sure everybody's seen by now, but Villanova has dropped five slots following their loss to Baylor over the weekend. And they are now coming in at number 22 on the AP poll and 21 on the coaches poll. Duke is still your number one. Louisville is still number two. Michigan State still number three. Kansas is number four. And we've got a newcomer in the top five, and that's Maryland moving over UNC to take that fifth and final spot to round out your top five. Chris, you look at these rankings, you look at these polls, anything stick out to you? No, not really. Baylor jumped five after beating Villanova over the weekend. They're up to 19 in the AP poll. Everything else, I, the top 16 spots, no one changed with the exception of, like you said, Maryland, Leapfrog, North Carolina. So, yeah, nothing, nothing really too dramatic. Uh, Xavier dropped seven to 25, though. And then in the receiving votes section, Butler's actually got 21 uh, votes there. And Georgetown chipping in at, with one vote. Still know DePaul, though, Eugene, so you're still going to have to wait to pop that champagne bottle. Oh, yeah. With the day that happens, we're hanging up the first banner over there at the new arena, the new Wintrust Center. We're going we're gonna to hang a new one there. Receiving vote 2019. <laughs> Might be yeah. 2020, honestly. But we're going we're gonna to have to wait and see. Hey, it'll be well worth it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Breaking news. Breaking news. All I had to do was move my eyes over to the right. The Paul is actually receiving votes in the coaches' poll. Hey, that's because they know what they're talking about. Oh, wait, it's only one vote. You already know that was Dave Lato. Does it really count? Does it really count? It was probably Dave Lato. Okay, so we're still holding off the banner ceremony until the people happens. It's only real when the media recognizes you. Okay, all right. It's only real the AP poll. I don't know why that's the only one people reference, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, re- I remember for a while it was the coaches poll. I don't, know, I don't know why the dramatic shift again. But the polls, nothing too crazy except for Xavier is still barely hanging on there. They finally took their first loss. And that leaves just two undefeated teams in the Big East, and that's Butler and DePaul. Which one do you think is going to outlast the other, Chris? Which one do you think is going to do it? Well, the way this year's going, everything's backwards, so I'm going with DePaul. Oh, yeah, no, the Paul will definitely be the last undefeated Big East team standing. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I don't even know what the rest of their schedule looks like, but you already know. Yeah. Getting the banner ready. Getting the banner <laughs> ready. You, got, you already bought your ticket to Chicago for the banner ceremony. I'll buy all the seats just for me and my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Ripped out the whole arena for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. I think I think we should stop talking about the Paul. Let's let's move on. Let's move on. This is not the Paul podcast. Eugene. You're right. You're right. We have to talk about a team that lost. Oh, brother! This guy stinks. Ah. Uh... 
<laughs> in the year of our Lord 2019, that means Villanova. It's been a very strange. If you took no context and you did look at the Biggie standings, it would make absolutely no sense. No, not yet. With Nova dropping, I mean, it's it's pretty much expected. They did pretty much almost not exactly switch spots with Baylor. It was a pretty tough weekend. Yeah, it was. It it started off great. It started off real great, and then Mississippi State kind of was a little rocky. That game was a little rocky to at the especially at the end. Uh, and then Baylor looked good. It was looking great, too. And then they kind of just collapsed on themselves. But it is what it is. Yeah, let's look at the tournament. First off, it, it started off with that Thursday matinee. I hope you got to listen to it while you were at your desk. I had the second monitor ready, and I was watching while work. Actually, both games, the, both the Thursday and Friday games, I was watching at work. And that was pretty nice. But uh, first, Villanova started its Myrtle Beach Invitational with a beatdown of Middle Tennessee State. Just the Wildcats looked like the vintage Villanova of the decade, firing away from the three-point line, draining 18 threes. Cole Swider was a huge part of it, leading the way with 26 points off the bench, shooting 6 of 11 from deep. Colin Gillespie looked pretty solid too with 16 points, 7 assists, and only one turnover. He was also 4 of 6 from long range. Justin Moore, he added 15 points in a block. And just overall, you know, it was just such a dominant game for the Cats who just looked so good right out of the gate. And when you have a guy like Cole Swider just heating up like that off the bench, can you just imagine being the other team thinking, all right, great, now we got the starting five resting, and then you got a guy like Swider just destroying you, demolishing you. And more importantly, we got to see the debut of Mr. Brian Antoine, who had nine points, three or four shooting, played 19 minutes. Obviously, as we know, they're going to slow it down before really, really running him out there for real. Yeah, you, you got everything you could ask for in this game if you're a Villanova fan. You got the three-point shooting back. You got the bench production that we are probably desperately craving at this point because we know how good the starting five is, but we know that the bench is a little bit of a question mark right now. And for him, Swire to come off the bench and drop six threes and 26 overall is pretty big. And we got the, and we got the blowout that we wanted to see Antoine play. And Antoine looked pretty damn good to start. So I, no complaints here whatsoever. Got off to a fast start, beat Middle Tennessee in the first half, 53-28, to 28, and then just pretty much just played through the second half and was able to blow them out. And it was just a great all-around performance, great defensively, great offensively, no qualms whatsoever. Yeah, and then you go into that Friday game against Mississippi State. We knew that this game was definitely going to be a lot tougher than Middle Tennessee State. No offense to the Blue Raiders, but we just expected a physical game. And the Bulldogs were pretty tough. They were pretty tough. But Nova was able to beat them, hold them off for an 83-76 to victory. Four different cats in double digits with Jeremiah Robinson Earl leading the way with 22 points, an efficient 8 of 11 on the floor, seven boards, three assists. Then Colin Gillespie poured in 18 points. He had nine assists, but with six turnovers, he did have a pair of steals, which was pretty nice. And then Sadiq Bey with 17 points, a pair of blocks. Jermaine Samuels added 14 points, five boards, and two assists. A little bit quiet of a game for Cole Swider, but when you have four different guys just kind of pouring it on like that, honestly, you're still in great hands. And Brian Antoine didn't really get to play. He only got a little smidgen of action there. Mississippi State was paced by Tyson Carter, who was a little more tougher than I thought he would be. 
but he had 22 points. Reggie Perry was the big boy that I pretty much expected with a double-double, 18 points, 10 boards, one assist. And then Robert Woodard, he added 17 points. Wasn't really on our scouting report, but he had a nice game with 17 points, eight boards, a pair of assists, a block, and two steals. Chris, this game was a, a little more tougher, but it was one of those that I was really glad to see Villanova just beat him out, you know, just kind of hold on, grind it out, and take it. Yeah, without diving too into too much of the individual performances, yeah, I guess if you want to take an overarching theme from this, it is that they were able to dig deep and win a game, especially with a not-so-great second-half performance. Look, I know they played all right overall, but the fact that they couldn't put them away and they were able to dig deep on the defensive end and kind of you know, fight their way through it is pretty encouraging. I will say a little discouraged by the offensive rebounding by Mississippi State. They got 13 compared to Villanova's seven, and I thought that was a, kind of a big problem throughout the day. And I know you said you're in pretty good hands when you got, you know, JRE going for 22, Bay for 17, Samuels for 14, Gillespie for 18, but you still want a little bit more production from your bench. Only five points among the four people who came off the bench. And I know Antoine is considered one of those four, and all he did was commit a personal foul and actually has zero minutes logged according to the box score. But you still wanted to see a little bit more of a better follow-up performance from Swider. I know he basically carried you in the first game, but you want to see a little bit more. Um, Slater in 13 minutes of action didn't really do much to impress, and DCR's minutes uh, seem to be non-existent at this point. So I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, we kind of saw what they were we, they did against Baylor, but – after that game, I was kind of confused as to what was going on. Was encouraged overall, the fact that they won, obviously, but um, not too thrilled with some individual aspects. Yeah, as we said, anything short of a finals appearance would have been disappointing. They did make it to the finals, but it didn't go their way as they lost to the Baylor Bears. 87-78, to 78, Nova with four different players in double figures. Colin Gillespie leading the way with 27 points, six assists, five turnovers. Sadiq Bey added 16 points with five assists. He did have three turnovers. Jeremiah Robinson Earl with 12 points. Not a hot shooting day, just going three of nine on the floor he, and also going five of eight from the free throw line, but he did have 11 boards, three assists, and a pair of turnovers. And then Cole Swider, he had a little more of an improved game. He was efficient inside the arc. He made all his shots, finishing with 11 points and five boards. Chris, this one was a little tougher. Aesthetically, this was a great game to watch. It was just tough at the end, real tough at the end. And not only that, I will say this. There's nothing more in sports that just infuriates me more than flopping. There are so many things that can happen in variety of sports that annoy people, you know, whether it be like a cheap shot in football or like you hit someone in the groin or, you know, a dirty play. But nothing just gets me more riled up than flopping. And Baylor Bears, it's not Oscar season, but oh my God, they were flopping. Yeah, that was uh, I was top-notch performance in that department by then. I don't know if they're, in the, they're taking acting classes or whatever over there, but man, that was, uh, that was tough to watch. I, mean, I, know, I know you said it was a great game, and I agree it was a great game, but when you see stuff like that, it kind of takes away from it. And then I think Baylor at some point was complaining that Villanova was flopping. I don't know. I just ridiculous to me. But individually impressed with Gillespie. I mean, he had a pretty good tournament overall. If you got to really uh, dive deep into it, I thought he had a great. Uh, pretty much carried Villanova throughout the first half. Second half, he cooled off a little bit. 
especially from beyond the arc. The day kind of changed when the turnovers started to pile up. Villanova finished with 12 turnovers, and you said it yourself. Baylor's a good team that, that forces turnovers, and Villanova is very prone to that. So they had 12, Baylor had five, and if you want to take a look into what the difference could be, I think it might be that. Um, also, Villanova's three-point shooting was in a big rut during this game, only 32%. Meanwhile, Baylor shot 57.9% from beyond the arc. A couple of those infuriated me, especially at the end. I believe it was Butler on Baylor who was able to drain two threes in a row against Brandon Slater, who seemed more intent on trying to prevent him from driving instead of playing up on him. And Butler's like, oh, I'm going to just take this three because this is like shooting practice at this point. And he nailed both of them. So... That little sequence right there frustrated me, especially from Slater, because he's mainly known as a defensive guy. And for him to kind of back off like that and kind of put the whole like hand-down, man-down defense into effect there was uh, discouraging. And that pretty much iced the game, I would feel like. But otherwise, Jerry had a double-double, which was good. Bay had a good game, I thought. But yeah, it just, uh, just wasn't enough. Yeah, I wouldn't blame too much on the turnovers. Yes, Villanova coughed it up more times than Baylor. And Baylor, you know, they took excellent care of the ball. Although they did have 13 points off turnovers, just the last few minutes of that game, they allowed the Bears to finish off the game, draining each of their last seven shots. And whenever you're trying to come back, that's never a good thing. Nova went ice cold without any made baskets over the last two and a half minutes. But then also the press. The press at the end. I understand, you know, you still have a lot of new guys, but you can't allow that streaker down the court to just kind of get the ball all by himself and just cash it in for an easy dunk, especially when you're trying to chip away at the lead. It was one of those things where you felt that Nova had a chance, but the Bears were just making their free throws. Nova wasn't really towards the end. And then also just leaving that man open on the press. Everything looked great on the bottom half, but then Mm -hmm. they just let that one guy go and they just dumped it off to him for the easy press break and the easy points. And that was pretty tough. And it's also pretty tough when you know that Nova had the lead, especially late in the second half, but just couldn't hold on to it. There is a lot of things to say. And I will start with the positives. Kong Gillespie, he did have an excellent tournament. I'm glad that you gave him credit because he definitely deserves it. This is a guy who honestly continues to surprise me. I, I know he's been surprising people around the Big East last year just with how much it seems like, oh, is, did he hit his ceiling? Is this it? Or how does Jay squeeze so much out of this guy he honestly had a great weekend he had a solid weekend and he led Nova with scoring in that Baylor game you got to give credit where it's due and this guy just when you think he's hit the peak or when you think he's hit his ceiling he just finds a new way to just dazzle or you know go over the wall and continue to his production and continue his growth can't undersell him anymore But it was just a little disappointing. You had Jermaine Samuels foul out without really doing anything offensively. The defense was just kind of a mess all throughout the game against Baylor. There were a lot of things that just looked a little shaky. It was a great game. I'm not going to lie. It was an excellent game to watch. But it's one of those tough ones when you know Nova could have won. And it's also tough because you know this is all part of the growing pains. Yeah, for sure. And if you want to talk about growing pains, Justin Moore's minutes kind of got cut back in the Baylor game too. I think he Jay opted for Slater, especially late. If I could be misremembering that, but I'm pretty sure he opted for Slater late instead of Moore. And I thought that was an interesting decision. I don't know what you thought about that. Likely that he was going to Slater with his athleticism quickness. I thought that was a little bizarre, but when you have a guy like Moore who was only, you know, zero points, 
zero assists. Wasn't really doing anything on the box score. It's understandable, especially, you know, Jay likes the veterans, likes the older guys. So I think because of that, that's why he put out Slater. Mm-hmm. But, uh, other than that, you know, he wasn't really adding too much. So I, I don't think there was too much to look into there other than you got to change it up a little bit. And Jay likes his veterans before his freshman. Fair enough. Fair enough. And then also just as an overarching theme as well, obviously we kind of speculated that Antoine would only play if it was a blowout, but he did play significant minutes against middle Tennessee state. He played 19. Then the fact, then you add to the fact that he saw the court for not even a minute against Mississippi state and didn't even see the court against Baylor. Were you okay with that? Or did you kind of expect a little bit more from him? I expected a little more minutes. I understand that they're still working him in, but I, I expected him to play at least a little bit. I understand why. It's totally fair to leave him off. But I was a little – I can't say I was disappointed. I, I would say I was more just a little surprised that he didn't get that much burn over the last two games. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I thought he would definitely play more against Mississippi State because I thought they were just using him with the 19 minutes. I'm like, all right, I guess they're going to actually try to work him in. And then to barely even see him against Mississippi State and not at all against Baylor was kind of disappointed. But I guess, they, like you said, yeah, they're just going to work him in somehow, some way. And then also, I guess the other bigger takeaway, too, individually, is DCR barely played at all. He had 16 minutes against Bill, Tennessee, five against Mississippi State, and then only three against Baylor. He might be the odd man out and just like when Antoine is completely ready to return, kind of like how we were speculating last week. Yes and no. I did not expect this drastic of a cut down in minutes, and that was a little surprising to me to see that he virtually played nothing. And also in the last couple of games, and it wasn't, you know, not for Antoine. It was just he literally just got a smaller piece of the pie and barely played. And I was a little shocked about that. I know that, you know, he's kind of like a – I guess you could say a hot topic in what, you know, how much does he actually contribute on the floor? But I was shocked to see that he basically played peanuts uh, out there. Just very few minutes, not that much time. This was a guy who averaged over 20 minutes last year. And now it looks like in just a month, he's dropped to just minutes, a couple minutes. That's a little shocking. Yeah. And especially in like, probably what we always kind of called the biggest development year for Villanova big man. We kind of saw it with chef that this was the sophomore, the junior leap was significant. And the fact that with DCR, he's getting his minutes scaled back and just a few weeks into the season is uh, significantly scaled back too, is not great. No, no. And I don't know if this is, you know, all part of experimentation. We're just going to have to wait and see until LaSalle, but overall, it's tough to see. You know, I know a lot of people were disappointed because Nova had that impressive streak. This was their first midseason tournament loss since the 2K Classic in 2012. It's a pretty impressive stretch when you think about it that way. You know, it's been seven years since they last lost a midseason tournament. But at the same time, that's a that's a pretty impressive run. That's actually, I think I appreciate it more now that it's over just because to go six straight years, always on top, it's not easy. It's not. That the last time they lost, like you said in 2012, we were freshmen in college. That's pretty crazy to think about. But yeah, it's it is I agree with you that now that it's over, you kind of look back and you're like, oh wow, like this this was really impressive. You had that obviously it all started with the battle for Atlantis our sophomore year. Then I believe junior year was that was the that was in Brooklyn. I forget the name of the tournament. Yeah, the Legends, Legends Classic. Classic. Yeah. Legend Classic. You know, had the classic block by JVP at the rim. 
against Michigan. And then you had a few more tournaments in there, obviously, even though a couple of duds like the uh, Charleston Classic a few years ago. But and I know we always kind of joked about like, oh, Villanova never plays anybody in these tournaments, blah, 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 especially after we kind of left school. But it, it is still an impressive feat to go seven years winning these things. It's just it's crazy. Yeah, and we knew that Baylor was going to be a tough game. I honestly thought Villanova was still going to win. But I think that, if anything, that this is all just indicative of, you know, another reminder that this is still a young team because there were a lot of inexperienced mistakes or just, you know, between defensive switching and things like that just not being polished yet. And it is still very early on in the year. We're still in the first month of the college basketball season, so there's still plenty, plenty of time. That's the other thing, too. Well, there is still plenty of time, even though we have all these really impressive pieces or these impressive young guys, it is still part of the process and it still does take time. And there is still no substitute for actual game time experience. It was a tough one for the Cats. We're going to have to wait and see how they bounce back later on this weekend when they play the LaSalle Explorers. First big five game of the year. But before we get into that, I want to dive into some pressing manners. This one popped up, and it was great. You know, it came just in time for our pod because I want to I wanna get your take on this. So, Dana O'Neill, we all know Dana. You know, I, I own long shots. You own long shots. You read that book in, like, 20, 36 hours. I probably took a little longer, probably 36 days to finally get around to it. And it was a great book, great book. She's right there chronicling the 2016 National Championship. She's obviously covered the Wildcats for so long for ESPN and still, you know, in her days with The Athletic and other publications before. But she released her all-decade team, her college basketball all-decade team. And I don't know if you got to see it. Do you have an Athletic subscription? Should I read out to you the all-decade team? Please, please do, Eugene. Okay. So here's the all-decade team. Starters, this is the starting lineup. Guard, Kemba Walker from UConn. Uh, another guard, Buddy Heald from Oklahoma. Forward, Zion Williamson of Duke. Another forward in Frank Kaminsky, Wisconsin. And then center, Anthony Davis. And that's your starting five. Now we're going to go on to the bench. We got Carl Anthony Towns, forward from Kentucky. Clay Anthony Early, another forward from Wichita State. A guard in Jimmer Fredette from BYU. A forward in Draymond Green at Michigan State. A guard, Kyle Guy from Virginia. A guard in Josh Hart, Villanova Zone. And then another guard in Shabazz Napier from UConn. And then to round it all off, an, a, one last guard in Russ Smith from Louisville. And your coach of the decade is Jay Wright from Villanova. Now, you know, Villanova is obviously represented here. We got Jay Wright. Great choice for coach of the decade. I honestly, you don't even have to be biased, whether you're a homer or not like that. Two national championships. He, you know, in this era of one and dones, he's doing it the old fashioned way. And he's been winning most importantly in the regular season. And obviously in the postseason with two national titles and just his reign over the Big East. You got Josh Hart, who was a national player of the year contender. He had a great career also on the main line. But uh, there's just one omission. That's kind of that's got little Wildcat fans a little riled up, a little, a little heated, a little yeah. angry at Dana, a little surprised on it. I was surprised. 
but the, you know, he's got his own basically monument, little center in the Davis Center, and also I'm pretty sure in the new pavilion. And that's uh, the GOAT, uh, Jalen Brunson. No mention on the All-Decade team. And Dana O'Neill went on. She knew that she was getting a lot of flack for this. And yesterday, she had a little live chat where she could field questions from readers and fans and answer why she chose to leave off Jalen Brunson. And here was her response. Well, I wrote a book about Villanova in 2016, live in Philly, and I've covered the team for like 20 years. So yeah, I've seen him. And look, I love Jalen Brunson. Love him as a player, a person, and everything he stands for. But this was hard, really hard, because I had to pick a team that could actually be on the court, not like 50 guards and such. So I thought, okay, point guard, who? Kemba Walker, to me, that was a no-brainer. I watched what he did at UConn, literally carrying the Huskies on their back by himself to a national title. After that, it was trickier. But here's the thing about Jalen. Because I did check before I picked, he backed up Ryan Archie Diakono as a freshman, and he wasn't on the court much in the title game. Phil Booth was. And, and he would have been the most outstanding player had Jenkins not hit the shot. Shabazz Napier was off the bench and played more minutes and dished out more assists than Brunson as a freshman. Brunson, in 2018, was a one seed, and he was surrounded by a ridiculously talented team. Napier was a seven seed, who, like Walker, led the Huskies near single-handedly to a title. He was the most outstanding player. Brunson was not. So that's my argument, and it's highly subjective, of course. Now, Chris, we love Dana O'Neill. You know, she's even when she was with the ESPN, she was probably like the Villanova Center. She wrote a great book. We usually she always has great articles and stories on the Wildcats, pretty much all throughout her career. But is this? Possibly one of the biggest head scratching snubs you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, for as far as these type of lists go, this is uh, this is pretty bad. And like, I usually don't give a crap about this stuff, but like, this is like how, how egregious is that? It's almost it almost seems intentional at this point. And look, like you said, we love Dana O'Neill. We'd love to have her on the pod one day. Heck, we could have even had her on. Would have loved to have her on to explain this, but. After covering the, fam- the the team for so long, you would think you, the one fan base you don't want to piss off is this fan base. And boy, are they making her regret this decision. Uh, the doom days are ahead of her for the next couple weeks or heck, even longer for such a snub. I know I get like her reasoning behind it. It doesn't make sense to me and I don't agree with it. But like, I, I get why she's going that route. It is her list, not our list. But, like, all right, you want to put Shabazz in? Fine. But, like, what did Buddy Heald do? <laughs> like, honestly, what did he do? He had one good year and did absolutely nothing before that, at least not from what I remember. You could prove me wrong. I don't, I don't care. But he did nothing. Jalen's team beat Buddy Heald's team, and Jalen played a good part of that. Not, uh, He wasn't the major part of it, but he played a good part of it. Um, Draymond Green on that team makes no sense to me whatsoever because I didn't even know he played where the heck he played college basketball <laughs> until he got good in the NBA. So if he wasn't good in the NBA, would we even be talking about it? Uh, and if you want to get into a more debatable thing as well, another debatable thing as well, do one and duns even deserve to be on this list? I, I say no. Not entirely. I, I, we were discussing this off air, but 
No, but I guess like Anthony Davis, like I guess he kind of deserves it. But if you want to go like what she was saying, like, oh, well, Jalen Hall had all this talent around him in 2018. So did Zion Williamson's. <laughs> like Zion Williamson's team last year had a significant amount of talent. Everyone talked about that team like it was the best team ever assembled. And they didn't even make the Final Four. So makes no sense to me. I don't get it. Figure it out. Put him back. Put him on the list. Just, just, no. It makes no sense. Yeah, and going off the Zion Williamson point, number of those guys were lottery draft picks. Right. <laughs> and, yes, they did not even make the Final Four. And, yes, you know, I'm glad that, that she included Hart, but literally Jalen has a shrine on Villanova's campus with his jersey, with all his hardware, and it's just a little shocking to me that he would not be on there. Kyle Guy? Yeah. Oh, that, him too. Oh. I think that's a, that's a little recency bias, if you ask me. It is. It is. It's just trying to get someone from each team, each champion on there, I guess. But still, no. <laughs> no. Like, Jalen won National Player of the Year and won two, two championships. How do you not feature him whatsoever? He's a defining player of the decade. And also, just on the, just wanted to add this. Uh, so when she released her, when she initially released the team of the decade article, she added a paragraph of explanation, and this is what she said when assembling the players and why these players were selected. "Quote: I wanted players I could trust to win. That meant guys who didn't just score buckets of points or so or show flashes of greatness." The players who were consistent in the entirety of their college career, no matter how long or short, who found a way to be about the team even as they achieved individual glory, who could at least on occasion defend, and who, during the course of their careers, exhibited proof that they were winners by leading their teams to accomplishments as great as, if not greater than, their own. And I don't know about you, but when I read that paragraph, I think Jalen Brunson. Yeah. The the second line, I think Jalen Brunson. Third line, Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson. I don't know what to say. Uh, now, there are, you know, people who said, Dana, are you not including Jalen because he's going to be your player of the decade article? Like, what is that one dropping? Is that why he's not included? I don't know. I, I'm surprised that she doubled down on this. I understand Kemba Walker. I can understand Jimmer Fredette because just of how infectious he was. And when you think of college basketball, Jimmer Mania was pretty big. But Kyle Guy. I don't know about that. Buddy Heald, like no. you said, I don't know about that either. These, these should be memorable players you remember watching. Like Jimmer Fredette was that guy you would tune in to watch. Yes. Yeah, he would shoot from like – yeah, before Steph Curry range, it was Jimmer range. Right. Yeah, there was Jimmer range. And like when Kemba and Shabazz got on their little streak – I mean, I know Villanova fell victim to Shabazz, but you, you tuned in to watch them. <laughs> you know what they did. You know what yeah. they did. Yeah. And that's why I'll even give like the one and done. Like I know I'm not a fan of it, but it's, like, I think Anthony Davis things. is very deserving. Like that guy just yeah. manhandled everybody. Like that yeah. was like a grown man and playing against kindergartners. Yeah, he basically yeah he carried that Kentucky team to a title. And that t- that Kentucky team was stacked, but like he was like head and shoulders above everybody on that team. I felt like I know it was Kid Gilchrist on that team too. I think he was. Yeah, yeah, Kid Gil- yeah, Kid Gilchrist was on the team. Yeah, so like, and he like shined above him, and he was Kid Gilchrist was a good college basketball player. So, yeah, I it just like I said, we can 
sit here and bicker until the cows come home. Doesn't seem like she's going to change it anytime soon. <laughs> does seem almost intentional because she knows what fan base to rile up. But hey, it's her list. It's her life. She's a good writer, so I can't get uber mad at her. But and she is a Villanova bastion when she was at ESPN. So, but still, it makes <laughs> still doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and and by at ESPN we mean post Biggie's breakup. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little I'm a, I'm still a little stunned. Uh, some of these guys I don't know about, but uh, I guess yeah, like you said, maybe we should just make our own list. But we already know what that's gonna look like. Um, Ryan Archidiakono know five times. <laughs> who would win in a basketball game? Five Ryan Archidiaknos or five Jalen Brunsons? Oh. That that should be a VU hoops poll, Eugene. Four Ryan Archie Diakonos and one Omar Spellman versus four Jalen Brunson and one Daniel Ochefu. <laughs> yeah, I'm all for that. <laughs> <laughs> Can you run a simulation in uh, NCAA basketball? I'm sure you still have that game, right? You still got that. Of course, of course. Yeah, run run it through. <laughs> yeah, there's only yeah, there's only one way to find out. That'll be through scientific experiment. <laughs> it is Thanksgiving weekend. We have plenty of time for this. We're just going to have to stay tuned. Hopefully, Dan O'Neill drops a Player of the Decade article and it says Jalen Brunson. It doesn't say anything heinous like, I don't know, Doug McDermott. Oh, heck, I would have put him on the list, too. Dougie uh, McBuckets? Uh, you know, actually, uh, he just popped into my mind, but now, now yeah. that I think about it, yeah, he, yeah, he's he was, like, record-breaking. This guy was killing it. Yeah, wasn't he National Player of the Year, too? I, I think he deserves some recognition. I put him He's over Kyle Guy. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I think everyone over Kyle Guy, but hey. I love how she didn't put a an honorable mention section. Look, that's because you know that's when it gets messy. That's when it gets messy. Right. Ethan Raggy would have made that list though. <laughs> Ethan Raggy's first team Villanova nemesis. Of the decade. <laughs> Villanova nemesis. Uh, let's see. You got. Uh, Ethan Raggy, Sterling Gibbs, um, Iggy, 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 on, Iggy on Michigan, or is that too 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 soon? Iggy on Michigan, ooh, yeah. uh, yeah, uh, might be, might be too soon. Okay, uh, Isaiah Whitehead. Oh yeah, Isaiah Whitehead is definitely on that team. Angel Delgado. Angel Delgado, yes, because Josh Hart curb stomped him and people forgot about it. Yes, yes, yes. He's on there. Uh, hmm. Oh, Malik Abdul-Abu. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The NC State guy, yes, of course. Yeah, he's on the all-nemesis team. I guess we can throw Cat Barber on there, too, maybe? I don't know. Uh, I honestly, the, the whole, sta- the yeah, whole starting five, <laughs> the starting five of NC State, first team all-nemesis squad, and then okay. second team all-nemesis squad would definitely be like Ethan Raggy, Isaiah Whitehead, Sterling Gibbs, Doug McCarthy. Doug. Doug. Wow. Yeah, that that honestly that that would be a fun article to write. Someone yeah. should write it. The all nemesis. Should do it. Yeah, the all nemesis decade team. <laughs> Why don't we tweet that out from our account? Let's let's have the fans say, "Come up with your all Villanova nemesis team." Yeah, of the decade, of the decade, <laughs> of the decade. Yes, yes. Oh wait, oh wait. You know, if we're talking about the decade, we got to go way back, man. How can we forget those Q's guys? Yo, Trevor Cooney, Tyler Ennis. Oh, Brandon Coney, Trish. Definitely. Oh, oh, him too. Uh, what's his face? What's his face? Michael Carter-Williams? Oh, MCW. 
But Shabazz he kinda, Napier is definitely also on the all nemesis list. That's Shabazz all. is definitely the leader of the pack. <laughs> he's he's definitely on at least second team or third team. Mm-hmm. He's up there. Uh, Georgetown guys. Mm. Mm. Not so much. JP Makura, I'd say. Oh, JP. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's on everybody's all nemesis list. Yeah, he's definitely a he's definitely a universal pick. <laughs> Um, trying to think of like some other guys. I, I think I think we got it covered. Steven Adams? No, he wasn't really no. nice. He just destroyed no. Chef. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Trying to think of like the two thousand. Oh, oh, this if I guess St. Mary's. Anyone on that St. Mary's team? Matthew. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. If we're if we're doing all decade, it's you got to get a St. Mary's guy on there too. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, we should have to. Was it Matthew Delvadova yet? Was that was that him? <laughs> yeah, it was Delvadova and Omar. Or the, the, forget his last name. Said it a bunch of times when we previewed him last last year, but forget the guy. Big guy. I'm trying to think. Uh, man, I think I think we covered everything. There's definitely some that I'm forgetting there, about. There's definitely some we're missing right now, but I, we got a good chunk of them. <laughs> <laughs> The NC State team is the starting perfect <laughs> encapsulation of that. Yeah, that, that, that honestly, this is a fun project. Uh, I I don't want to commit to anything now, but if I had if I spent the next month putting it together, I think it could make for a pretty cool article. Yeah, so let's crowdsource it first, though. I think we should crowdsource it first. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, we should. Yeah, we should make that. an all heroes and all villains. Yes. decade team. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty sick. That would be great. <laughs> All right, so right before we move on to questions, we should definitely take some time to preview this Sunday's LaSalle game. It'll be the first game of the month of December. I can't believe December is already here. Yeah, that's crazy. Also, completely forgot there was a game this weekend. <laughs> oh, come on. How could you forget? Oh, I guess Thanksgiving, you know, it's always on Thanksgiving. It's always on the mind. Yeah. So Nova's going up against the LaSalle Explorers, who, as we all know, Ashley Howard, one of our guys on the show, we're a big, Big Ashley Howard fan on this on this pod. Also, big Baker Don't Love You fan. Mm-hmm. It'll be Ashley's first game back on Villanova's campus. Hasn't seen the new pavilion yet, but he'll he'll be, get a nice look at it. And it'll be his little homecoming of sorts for the former Villanova assistant. The Silex Boars come in three and two, which is pretty solid considering how last year they started on an ugly ten game losing streak. But so far, it seems like Ashley Howard, in his second season, has some footing under him. Chris, this LaSalle team, what's the deal with them? I will say it looks like shoot 'em up sleep in the streets is slowly trickling its way over there to that side of Philadelphia as the Explorers are among the top 40 teams in the NCAA so far when it comes to three-point shooting percentage. And, of course, they like to take a good chunk of threes. That they do, but it really hasn't shown up uh, on the advanced stats side. Uh, they're 249th in adjusted offense, according to Ken Palm, and 129th on adjusted defense. So, yes, they are shooting a high percentage of threes, and yes, they are making it a high percent clip, but it isn't really translating whatsoever. And I know points aren't everything, but if you look at the points per game, it's very evenly distributed, but it's all under 10 points for their top six guys, I believe. So David Beatty's the leading scorer with 9.8 points per game so far. And yeah, 9.8 points per game. That's their leading scorer. Then you have Saul, Saul Fury with eight and a half. Isaiah Dees, who's a familiar face with eight and a half. Ed Crosswell with eight and a half. Ballward, 
Scott Spencer with 8.3, Sheriff Keeney with 8.3, and then you have a little bit of a drop-off to Ayinde Hickam. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Hickam? Hickam? Not exactly sure. And he has 5.5. So evenly distributed scoring for LaSalle, and if you look at their high points throughout the first five games, Beatty only let for two of them, Dees with one of them, Kenny with one, and Stone with another one. So they, they, anyone on this team can score. It's just not a lot. But as you said, they are three and two. Two of those wins have come in a row, back-to-back weeks, Monday and Tuesday. They beat Murray State and Wright State. They opened up their season with a win at, against Iona in overtime. And their two losses are against big five foes. Temple and world beaters Penn, you Penn now. So uh, we will uh, pay attention to Penn for the rest of your, uh, make that mental note, Eugene. Uh, yeah. So LaSalle, like you said, coming in much better than last year. Like they don't, they don't have a huge losing streak, but it's uh, probably still a long ways away before they become really competitive. And with this game being at Villanova, I don't really see much of a chance for them. Yeah. The Explorers do have a game tonight when they take on South Alabama. Right now, Ken Palm has them predicted to be the underdog with only a 36% chance to win. But against Villanova, they're only a 4% chance favorite to win. So not exactly the greatest odds for LaSalle. I don't think that this should be a tough game for Nova, but obviously you can, <laughs> can never, can never uh, be too sure nowadays. But if you just look at this LaSalle team, outside of the fact that, yes, they can shoot the three ball pretty darn well, everything else is not that good offensively. This is a team that struggles at the free throw line pretty much across the board. Like, a lot of these guys are shooting sub-50%. And yeah, then Isaiah Dees is a 40%. He's a three – he shoots higher from three-point range than he does from the free throw line. Figure that one out. Makes no sense. Makes no. no sense. This is also a team that turns the ball over a lot. They don't really rebound all that well. So I think that this is just – you know, as long as Nova doesn't let them go too crazy at the three-point line like they did – like they let Baylor do in the closing minutes of the game, or in the second half of that game, I think they should be okay. I'm not too concerned about LaSalle. Still still a little bit of a growing period for Ashley Howard, but it, it is good to see, you know, just as a former Wildcat, just to see him get off to a nice start rather than going 0 for 10. But I will say, you know, even though it, no matter how good or bad LaSalle is, I don't know why, but this seems to be a team that as of late, just gives another little bit of a – it's always a little closer than, than we'd like, you know? It's always a little closer than we'd like. Yeah, especially last year, too. We thought that would be an absolute romp, even though it was at LaSalle, but they were winless at the time, and we were expecting some big bounce-back performance for Villanova after a couple early season losses, and they hung around, and that was not pretty. So hopefully we get a beat down this weekend – Hopefully Antoine's able to see the court because of it. And uh, yeah, it's a good, it'll be a good day for all. So uh, I'm assuming you're with me and that Nova bounces back and goes back on the winning column. Uh, yes. This yeah, should I'm, be easy dub. Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. This game will tip off on Sunday night at 6:30 PM Eastern time. You can watch it on Fox sports one. This thought just came to me right before we go into questions. Two more people I want to add to the all villains list. Uh, C.J. Fair from Syracuse, <laughs> and oh my God, why, why am I? Oh, uh, Halil Kanasevich. Oh, how can you forget Halil? That's an all villain right there. Yeah, he was our first real villain when we were in school. Yeah, he's uh, he's the OG, I guess. OG, OG for our for our young college selves. Yes, least. for sure. 
you've been watching the team longer than I have, so you you definitely have more more villains. Mm-hmm. A, a little bit more. If we can dive into the oh five oh six teams uh, to the oh eight oh nine team, where there's plenty of villains in that little time frame, but that's not the all decade team. But Halil is uh, definitely should be on that list, and would be a good Big Five representative too. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, no, that guy, yeah, that guy, definitely a villain. I mean, I, I don't know how I almost forgot about the fact that he flipped out the student section. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's because it happened such a long time ago. <laughs> That's like our first basketball memory. Went and school. Yeah, that was like the first. That was the first game in which I was like, "All right, this is great." Because yeah, you know, at that time they played like Marshall, and it was like, oh, "Okay." Mm-hmm. The student section wasn't even halfway filled. But I remember the St. Joe's game specifically being somewhat dead. And then when he made the three-pointer and flipped off the student section, it, w- it was everybody, the whole arena. It wasn't just the student section. Like, student section obviously didn't like that. But the wine and cheese crowd, they were also getting into it too. They were – it was real loud. It was real loud in there. That was a fun game. Yeah, when the wine and cheese crowd gets into it, you know something dramatic happened. <laughs> yeah. Something, yeah. Something big. And, uh, yeah, that, that certainly quantified for that. Well, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer the questions that you, the listeners, have for us. As always, you can tweet us at SONNPod, and we will discuss, answer questions. Feel free to ask us anything, and we'll talk about it on the show. This first set is from Jerry Quinn. His first question is, oh, what are your Thanksgiving Day plans? Chris, what, what you got planned? Thanksgiving Day. Uh, uh, probably just going over to my grandparents. We always do that. My grandmother's having Thanksgiving as usual. I think my mother's helping out a little bit more than usual this year, though. And, uh, yeah, just plan on watching some football with the fam and uh, calling it a day. What about you? Yeah, uh, going to go to my uncle's house. He's going to have the whole extended family over, so it's going to be like 30, 35 people crowded into this one uh, small house but it'll be a great time lots of food lots mm-hmm. of adult beverages and looking forward to all of that just taking it real easy I'm doing a lot of traveling lately so i'm looking forward to just not doing anything mm-hmm. his next question is have you ever attended thanksgiving day parade in new york city i have on two occasions the first one i was in fourth grade and oh. my family did like a whole thing with a couple other families from town and i remember being like oh this is this is it (laughs) why why are we doing this um and we didn't even go outside we stayed in like the hotel and let's just watch the balloons fly by but i was like all right cool and then the other time was a couple years later and uh pretty much did the same thing because it was too cold out and uh i don't know why we did it i i don't recommend it just just watch from your couch. It's it's a much better experience. What I'm assuming you've done it. So you watched it at a hotel. You were there, but you were just inside watching from like a hotel or something. Correct. Both times, the original plan was to go outside, but we were too young at the time, both times, and especially with my brothers around who are a little bit younger than me. My parents didn't feel comfortable bringing them out there in, in the absolutely frigid cold. I remember both days were incredibly cold out, so that was uh, not a good idea. All right, I'm jealous of both of your experiences because I have nothing. I only went there one time. I was in ninth grade. It was absolutely miserable. So I'm there with my younger <laughs> sister, my aunt, and uh, at the time, my four-year-old cousin. And my four-year-old cousin runs off to the front. I was with my aunt. is like, oh, uh, you know, she's running to the front. Like, I have to be with her. Like, I can't leave this four-year-old. So then 
they leave her alone. And then when we try to, you know, squeeze through, they're like, oh, who are you guys? No, no, no. You're not, <laughs> you're not getting in the front. So now I'm separated from my aunt. I have people throwing bows. You're just stuffed on the side, on the sidewalks. And they interrupt trap, like they interrupt the parade just to like traffic through once in a while. And you have people who are also trying to cross the street. So I know you remember our national championship parade experience when that lady like pulled out a knife and got, you know, all <laughs> went crazy. Throwing yes. bows. So there were a lot of people throwing bows. No knives were drawn, but a lot of people throwing bows. I'm standing there. It's eight degrees out. I'm cold. I just want to go inside. Yeah, it was not it was not that great of an experience. Really traumatized me. Uh, definitely better on TV. I will mm. say uh, there were a couple of occasions in which I was invited to you know, come watch the inflating of the balloons or the uh, balloon inflation. That sounded pretty cool, but because mm. I had such a negative experience the one time I went, I never wanted to go again. And uh, it's only been pitched one more time since, and I heavily vetoed it. Yeah, it's just... Said like it, sardines. It was just like sardines yeah, and people throwing pose. Better in theory than it is in practice. And I feel like kind of the same way with New Year's, the same way with, in New York anyway. Yeah, in Times Square at least, yeah. Yes, yes. And it's just, I get it. Like you want to be there, the novelty of it, I get it 100%. But when, once you're there, you're like, well, now what? It's like the penguins in Madagascar when they get to Antarctica. They're like, okay, now what? What do we do? <laughs> <laughs> they're just standing around. <laughs> like, oh, we're here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, not not highly recommended. Yeah, maybe if uh, I had some more like personal space and I didn't get a ton of elbows thrown at me or people trying to push through uh, and if it wasn't eight degrees. I will say, though, I was, I was psyched. To see some of the balloons, I remember being especially happy for, uh, I don't know if you remember that show, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Blue. Yes. Yeah, Blue yes. the Blob. Yeah, when he was on. Oh, yeah. They had a balloon. Yeah, he had his own balloon. And, uh, of course, you know, Snoopy's a classic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember the rest. I'm pretty sure there was a Pikachu. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah when, we, when I first went to fourth grade, that was the only one I cared about was the Pikachu one. And I saw it, and I'm like, all right, my job here is done. I didn't understand the rest of them. So, Jerry's last question is, what are you most thankful for this past year? Chris, what are you most thankful for? What am I most thankful for? Uh, thankful, thankful for my family. Thankful we're all, all doing okay over yeah. here. Shout outs to the family. Yes, shout outs to the family. Uh, thankful we're doing all right. Thankful for my friends. Thankful for uh, my good health right now. So, yeah, I'm those are probably the big three. What about you? Usually we, we screen the questions. This time we just went into a blind. Yeah. I wish I had a more prepared answer. I'll say uh, I'm most thankful for uh, the new job. Let's say that that's it for me. You know, finally a, a full-time journalist and not just kind of office slave on the side and then journalist uh, doing it full-time. It's been a little bit of a grind because uh, some personnel stuff with some guys leaving kind of unexpectedly. So that's given me more than enough to keep busy. But it's all been pretty fun so far. Everyone's been pretty welcoming. It's all been pretty great. I would like to contribute more to VU Hoops than uh, than I am now. I feel like uh, I've been kind of letting some people down. But uh, things should slow down over the next couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to getting really back on the VU Hoops grind. I did get a little taste of the 2K Classic. So that was a nice little reintroduction to college basketball. But I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for the pod listeners. Thankful for the readers on VU Hoops keeping that lovely site going and always obviously the friends, the fam, the good health, you know, me, bad health, 
or no, not bad health, bad luck, I should say. It's always bad luck. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> random injuries here and there. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, you know, got a, got a lot to be thankful for. Um, you know, finally, finally moving the career's moving in a direction that I'm I'm pretty happy about, and you know, everyone's been pretty great so far, from the editors to the guy in the mailroom, and also all the people I've gotten to cover. So it's all been pretty great. This next question is from Tom Coates. Is it time to panic? Uh, no. We said last year. Last year we were in much dire straits uh, you know we would be staying up quarter past midnight freaking out about this team and uh ready to hit the panic button uh after losses to michigan and Furman and penn but we never did and i don't think a loss to a good baylor team is uh should send us over the edge right now i think let's give it some time we're six games in if we lose the Sal, <laughs> i'm not saying panic but uh we might be trending in that direction but it's uh we're okay for now don't hit the button yet. Definitely not time to panic. I know that this is probably more losses than people expected. I know with both of us, more losses than we expected at this point in the year. The one thing that we need to remember is that there are a lot of newcomers this year. At, what is it? Five freshmen and a transfer. So six new players on the roster. If you look at last year, only four guys came back this year that played double-digit minutes per game. And one of them isn't even playing double digits per game anymore, at least based on the Myrtle Beach Invitational. So that's a lot of minutes to replace and a lot of time that just needs to be made up for guys to gel with one another. You had Sadiq Bey, Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels, and DCR. Those were the only four guys that averaged double digit minutes that are back for this year. So it's definitely going to take some time. We just need to remember that, that yes, you know, while we do see some great things from JRE, and yes, we see some great things from Justin Moore. It's going to take some time. And it, although we see them sometimes, you know, for example, you look at the Army game or the Middle Tennessee State game, and everyone looks great. And then we get a little kick in the butt, whether it be from Ohio State or Baylor. It's tough, but it's all part of the growing pains. I'm still banking on that this team will look very, very good going into Big East play. I think if you want to talk panic, if this team is like 500 from non-con play, go limping into Big East play, things don't look like they're turning around by February, then I would say we're, we're panicking. But right now, we still need to be patient, still need to remember that, yes, we have all these blue chippers and all these talented young guys, but it's still ultimately going to take time to gel. Jay, got to trust the man because it seems like, just like looking at last year, the end of the year product was definitely a lot better than how it looked when we were losing to Michigan and Furman. And I think that we're going to see something like that where we see a dramatic upswing towards the end of the year. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, we always kind of see it, at least in past years, maybe not so much last year, but we always kind of have that game where like it all kind of clicks and then everything starts trending in the right direction. I thought last year we kind of had a couple of those games and then we uh, they kind of fall on flat on their face for the next couple. But I, I I do agree with you that they will eventually hit their stride and we'll start to see what this team is fully capable of sooner sooner rather than later. This next question is a little more uh, on that line. And this is from Aaron, pub philosopher number one. How many games before they sink on the switch defense? I think this is probably going to be the one that takes the longest. <laughs> is, it, is it possible to say never? Like Even last year's team was still – bad at it 
It wasn't. It was. It definitely wasn't that bad towards the end of the year. But yeah, no. Early on, it was. It was pretty bad. Especially you think about that Michigan game. That was really bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know how long it'll take, but I do agree with you. If it were, if they are to eventually sync up, it might not be until uh, February, March. I would but, say that's when they'll look their best. But I think it'll start looking pretty good by the end of December, mid to late December. Oh wow, that's much earlier than I would have thought you would have said. I thought you were going to say somewhere in January. Well, I, I, that's when it starts to look good. Okay. All right. Fair. I'll say it'll definitely look real, real better in February, March, as you said, though. Well, we'll see. Hopefully they get it. I would hope so. They better if they want, if they want to go anywhere, that's for sure. This next question is from Tyler Brown. Is there an update on what freshman will get kicked out of the rotation? <laughs> We're going straight for the hard-hitting questions here. Mm. I don't think – like, you know, you think freshmen, like, you know, we already have Eric Dixon, redshirting. Chris Archie Diakido is clearly not a rotation guy. Brian Antoine, you know, he's hurt right now, but it seems like they're working back him. So, like, are we supposed to kick out Jeremiah Robinson Earl or Justin Moore? I don't know about that. I don't know about yeah. that one. I don't, I don't think there is a freshman to kick out of the rotation. Um, I, know, I know we kind of mentioned it earlier in the podcast that Justin Moore's minutes kind of got scaled back in the latter two games, but I don't think they'd kick him out of the rotation and they, they certainly better not kick him out of the rotation. But if there is one guy that is getting kicked out of the rotation and it's pretty apparent, it's, it's the mere Cosby Roundtree. So, but he's not a freshman. So yeah. Yeah. Going off that one about DCR, they're going off that bit about DCR. John Palm has a question. He wants to know what's up with DCR limited minutes when he's in. Just doesn't look right. Is it mental, emotional, or physical? We're not there day to day, so I can't say if it is a physical or an emotional thing. But I mean, I, I would have to assume some of it is confidence because he, when he's confident, you get what you got last year in the uh, Advocare invitation. It was Advocare Invitational. Yeah, it was the Advocare Invitational. It was the Advocare Invitational last year where he wins MVP. Then you know he has a couple bad games and he's he never really able to find his footing. And I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, it's, I don't think he's, he's not this bad. He isn't. I know I haven't been his biggest advocate. And I do agree with Jay that if you want to scale back minutes, I do think it's taken from him. But you, you need him to produce if this team really wants to uh, give some of these guys some rest and, and actually feel confident with them. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. It is pretty disappointing to see. Uh, him kind of take such a huge step back so far. I don't know if it's physical, obviously, that you they keep all injury news lock and key. So, And we haven't heard anything yet. But if it was drastic, I'm sure we would have heard by now. Mental, emotional, very possible. It is tough to be an upperclassman and have your minutes just drastically cut into a fraction of what it was last season. You're just averaging over 20 minutes per game. This year, it just seems like with each passing game, it's been less and less to the point now where it's just scraps that's obviously not you know I, I wouldn't feel great if that was me um to just have a cut down in minutes like that but also it's, it's tough to get into rhythm and show what you can do on the floor when you're playing limited minutes you know I made the same argument with Javon Quinterly Jayra was putting him in pulling him out after a minute put him in back in like 10 minutes later playing for like a minute or two pull him out and then at the end of the day you look on the box score it's like five minutes Zero 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 one foul or like one assist or like one shot take, and I think we're seeing something similar with DCR where 
if you're just not allowed to just jive with the unit that's on the floor or play like real minutes and play real series, it's going to be hard to really impress with what you can do in limited minutes. I know a lot of people haven't really been his biggest fan in regards to does he clog the offense or does he do this and that. I just think at, at this point, with his minutes just being drastically cut down, I don't think he's going to be able to win anyone over because he's not really getting a chance to. I personally would like to see him play more minutes, and that's only because we can't have Jeremiah Robinson Earl, you know, running 38 minutes like he did against Baylor or, or 35 minutes or whatever it is because you know how we like our minute distribution. It goes the same way, and I think, you know, he still adds a rebounding present. He still adds that rim protector role. I just don't think he's getting any love right now. I understand why, but it's also hard to prove what you can do when you're only playing, you know, a couple minutes at a time. And then that is a perfect segue to our next question about minutes. Everyone's got a question about minutes. But this one's from Fred Rung, and he wants to know, what's your best guess for Brian Antoine's availability and minutes this week to practice and get up to speed for the December 1st game against LaSalle? Chris, uh, what do you think his minutes are going to look like? Do you think he's going to get a little more of a loose leash? Or what? I'd hope so, because as I mentioned before, I think this should be a blowout. And as a result, he should be playing more. Uh, But to Fred's point, it is a little bit of a long layoff. So we're talking Wednesday now. So you got till Sunday. So you do have a little bit more time to get him in practice and get him up to speed. So maybe if it isn't a blowout, God forbid, but let's say it is a little bit of a close, closer game. He might play more because he had more time to get acclimated. Now it would be nice five days of practice. And obviously you got Thanksgiving in there. I don't know what they do, what their Thanksgiving schedule is, but you do have an extra five days for him to get acclimated into the off the offense, defense, whatever. So I think he'll definitely play more and he better play more. It's that simple. He needs to play. Yeah, I think even if the game is tight or whatever, it's not going to be like the Mississippi State or the Baylor games where he's pretty much non-existent. I think he will actually get a chance to play. I'm not sure, you know, if he's going to be fully caught up to speed. I think it will still take some time, but he'll be more caught up to the point where Jay will feel comfortable to let him out there. I don't think he just sits, rides a pine all day or just plays like four minutes. I think he's actually going to get some substantial time to play. And I hope I would hope so, you know. But this is also a part of me speaking. Like, I want to see Brian Antoine play. I liked what I saw in the Middle Tennessee State game. Hopefully, you know, he's not going to be limited to the point where he only plays in blowouts. I don't think he will be. I think it was just a matter of whether or not he was ready. But now that he's had a full week, he did get a little sample in that Middle Tennessee State game. I think that Jay will play him a little bit more. If you wanted to put a number on it, Chris, how, how many minutes? What range do you think he'll get? 15 to 20. 15 to 20. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go 12 to 17. Okay. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think anywhere in that range is pretty solid. Cool. This last question is from Brendan Riley. Does Eugene Rapay still hate Turkey and America? I will say – I, I like America, but Turkey. Try <laughs> Turkey's not even a top three Thanksgiving dish. It's not even a top five Thanksgiving dish. Hey. I'll say it again, and I, and yeah, not really a big fan of turkey. If it was really that great, everyone would eat it every other day of the year. But they don't. They only save it for Thanksgiving Thursday. And that's my turkey rant for this year. 
You know, you were the first person to ever point out that I guess it was a hot take at the time, but a lot of people now are on your your uh, bandwagon there, guy. Is that really – is that actually a thing? Like, are, are more people getting upset with Turkey? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, no, significantly. And I know I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I do – I'll go on, like, some accounts just to get some news related to sports. And uh, sometimes I go down a little bit of a rabbit hole, and sometimes I end up with uh, tweets of, tweet me your best uh, – food hot take or whatever oh yeah no i saw that yeah i saw that tweet's been going around but i i haven't seen one where people were like anti-turkey yeah no there there's a lot of anti-turkey people you you can i should start uh, up the conversation yeah i think you should i think you should i do agree that when you when you're at thanksgiving it is not the one thing you go for it's or one of the first three things you go for i 100 percent agree with you it's still good i like it i know a lot of people like it but would I do I look forward to that more than I would mac and cheese? No. Or like uh, sweet potato pie? No. no. Or pecan pie? No. Stuffing. I love stuffing. Stuffing's the best. I don't care. Just stuff, stuffing's number one. Stuffing is excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, vegetables, man. I, I, the green bean casserole or like Brussels sprouts or uh, other uh, unfun things, but I love vegetables. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say, if anyone is curious, who if you haven't heard this before, if you weren't here last year, instead of turkey, my family usually eats a combination, two of three, two out of the three. It's either a, a ham and a stuffed chicken or, or a giant roast beef, and it's usually two of the three. It's never all three. Last year, for example, it was a, a ham and a chicken. The year before that, it was roast beef and a ham. So this year should be roast beef and chicken. That's what that's what it would point to, but I'm going to walk in fully surprised. Oh, wow. Keeps you on your toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do love Thanksgiving, though. It's honestly my favorite holiday. It's the best holiday. More than Christmas, really? See, Christmas is great, too. You know, you get, you get the Christmas beard and all that, but Thanksgiving is the family all together. You share a great meal, but there's no pressure of gifts. That is true. You you get everything else minus the pressure of gifts. That's true. That's yeah. why I think it's probably the best holiday. I still put Christmas over it. I but Christmas care. season That's- is definitely like the best holiday. Christmas season is definitely the best holiday season, though. Yeah. All right. I'll give you that. All right. So best singular day. Best singular holiday is yeah, it's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And then yeah, the season is Christmas. You might be able to convince me on that. You know what's crazy? Uh, In the Philippines, so, you know, I was there uh, in September for my my grandma's funeral. But when you're walking around, they start Christmas season on Labor Day, man. They started September. (laughs) I'm here, Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is you. And I was just a little perplexed. And they said, uh, yeah, they don't do Thanksgiving here. So they just jumped straight into Christmas season. Three months. Three months. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You kind of forget that, like. Like <laughs> we're the only country that does it right now, um, at this time of year. Because my brother's abroad in Italy, and then like, oh, so like, oh, so like, what are you doing like for Thanksgiving? And and you have off Thursday, right? No class. And he goes, no, nah, dude, I got class. I got it all together. Like it's it's a regular old day over there. And uh, they they are playing Christmas music in Italy too. Oh like, really? Oh wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like October, it's it's nuts. Yeah. And my my brother's freaking out. He's like, why are they doing this to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it so. was also strange in the philippines because it's like 98 degrees and then it's like yeah <laughs> it's like middle of september and you hear christmas music 
That's in true. like some of the stores in the in the mall or whatever. <laughs> got a monsoon going on, and you just got Mariah Carey blasting in the background. That, and this will that's get through. literally what happened. Yeah. <laughs> monsoon season, and yes, you got you got like Santa Claus. <laughs> Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. But yeah, to, to answer Brendan's question, I love America. I love Thanksgiving. Turkey, though. Still hates turkey. Not going to be able to do it. Not going to be able to do it. <sighs> we'll convince you one day. Yeah, that's what they all say. I haven't met a turkey that I liked. Bring some hot sauce to dinner next time. I feel like that could change your mind a little bit. Is that a thing? Hot sauce on turkey? I guess, I guess it is your turkey, so you can do whatever you want. It is. If it's Frank's Red Hot, you, you put that ish on everything, you know? It's, it's how it goes. I have a question because uh, yes. I've never consumed the cranberry sauce, but what is the cranberry sauce for? What do you put that on? Good question because I've never had cranberry sauce either. <laughs> is it one of those things that they just put on TV? It's like, oh, yeah, this is part of the Thanksgiving dinner, but, like, I've never been in a place where I, I actually had cranberry sauce. Yeah, I guess it's kind. Of, would it be controversial to say it's the fruit cake of like the Christmas fruit cake? Is I guess it would be the equivalent to that. Like no one's ever had it, but it just kind of exists everywhere. It's it's possible. It's possible. I, I, I think that's the equivalent. I have seen a Christmas fruit fruit cake in person, though. I just haven't had it. Yeah, same here. I I feel like I, it's always around. And it was not touched, <laughs> so I no, guess no one had it. Never is just like the cranberries of us. So. At least, maybe my family's just weird. Probably is. Stuffing, though. Oof. That's Oof. yeah. That's where it, that's where it begins and it ends. It is the alpha and the omega of uh, Thanksgiving. It depends because some stuffing is kind of lame, but most of the time, like good, like good stuffing is great. Great stuff. Great stuff. Yes. Yes, it is. Mashed potatoes. That's another great. That's another great thing. <laughs> Mac and cheese. Yeah, I'm about to just roll off the whole we menu. Just, Everything just, but turkey. <laughs> just, let's just name the whole menu and just start Thanksgiving now. Who cares about work today? Oh yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah, if we're talking about like least productive work days, the day before Thanksgiving and the day before Christmas Eve definitely are like one and two. Oh, easily. Easily. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. We got to cut things off before we just continue talking about Thanksgiving yeah. dinner. We'll be here but, all day. But we'll be back Tuesday. We hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving with a fam. Safe travels if you're going anywhere. Enjoy all that food. Enjoy all the adult beverages responsibly. Enjoy your time with the fam. And we'll be back at it on Tuesday. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe to the State of the Nova Nation or View Hoops. You can do so on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Megaphone. you got many, many options. Please follow the pod on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. You can also follow VU Hoops on social media, and that's good for Twitter and Instagram, and that'll be at VU Hoops. And please check back on the site often, and always, we always are just pumping out content, doing things left and right, and we're keeping it rolling, keeping it moving. We're going to have a LaSalle preview and all that, so please check back when you can in between in between your Thanksgiving meals and such. I will say, you know, it is kind of nice because I feel like it's been on Thanksgiving the last few years. And this time, you know, we have a free Thanksgiving where we can just, like, enjoy it. You don't have to, uh, don't have to fight people for the TV. Yes. Yes, we can actually just focus on football and not worry about Villanova getting into any t- types of uh, close games and freaking out. 
Yeah, because you already know the, the yeah the one failure was like, why are we watching this? Oh yeah, no, it was a struggle this past weekend because obviously it's football Sunday and I wanted to watch some of the Nova game and I was like, all right, I'll just watch it on my phone. But it was like I want to watch it on the TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not the same. But yeah, of course, there always is one family member that just has to see, you know, the the Lions knee it out against whatever team they're playing. So, <laughs> God forbid. Yeah. So yeah, check back on the site. We're still going to pump out content, even though it's Thanksgiving. You please follow me, Eugene Repay, on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at eRepay5. And I'm Chris Stanzial. I got nothing. Follow Eugene. Follow the pod. Follow View Hoops. Nova Nation, once again, have a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy it with the fam. Go Cats. Let's get this dub on Sunday. We'll be back on on Tuesday. Everyone have a great weekend, a great holiday, and let's get it.